Amen. We thank you and praise you that you're, you sent your Son not only to be our Messiah, but indeed He is our Lord. Lord, we follow Him, and, and Lord, we pray that He be Lord of our lives, every aspect of our lives. Father, we pray as we go to your Word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak. We thank you, Lord, that nothing happens by chance in your kingdom. You've gathered us together this morning with this text in mind. And Lord, we just ask that it would go out with power and our lives would be transformed. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. Continue our verse-by-verse study. A couple things uh, to be praying about. I've been mentioning Warren Thompson to you. Many of you don't know him, but he he and his wife did our children's ministry here for the first time. I don't know, three years or so. They came early on, were a total blessing to us. And I, you know, I truthfully can say I've never met a guy with more joy in my life than Warren. I never saw him when he wasn't smiling. I mentioned to you this very healthy guy with uh, three teenage children went into the hospital with an infection. We've been praying for him. Uh, but God's will was he went to be with the Lord on Saturday. So be praying for Warren's family. Pray for his wife, Pat. Pray for his three children. Uh, we don't need to pray for Warren. He's in heaven. Amen? Amen? And you know what? He had incredible joy. And the only way his joy could be any more incredible than it was is to be where he is now. But with that being said, uh, you know, my heart breaks for those kids. But God is faithful. Amen? So be, please be praying for them. The memorial service will be on Saturday. They ask if I would come and share the gospel. So please pray for that as well. Um, also be praying for Peter. He usually sits about in the third row back here with his wife. His wife's in a wheelchair. And I guess, I don't know the exact understanding, but I guess he either has pneumonia or maybe some seizures as well. Sounds like he's in the hospital. So let's be praying for him as well. And, you know, again, if you're going through something, please let us know so we can pray for you. Amen? We need to be praying together. The Bible says that God's house should be a house of prayer. So let's take a moment and pray for these two requests, and let's go to the Word. Heavenly Father, we do lift up Pat Thompson and the three, their three children to you, Lord. And Father, I thank you for Warren. I thank you that we know exactly where he is. I thank you, Lord, that it's not goodbye, but see you soon. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the promise in your word that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We thank you that he's in your presence. But Lord, for Pat, we pray that you'd give her the peace that surpasses all understanding. That you would comfort her and her children. And Lord, even though their earthly father is gone, he's in heaven, their heavenly father is so faithful. So Lord, may you pour out your grace upon them. Lord, we lift up Peter to you as well. And even though we don't know the exact details of what's going on, we do thank you and praise you that you do and that you are the great physician. So Lord, we just pray that you would reach down from heaven, Lord, and, and heal him. And that Lord, through this, you would be glorified. I pray you'd comfort his wife as well. And again, we pray for our time in the Word that you'd be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, and remember to keep praying for divine appointments as well. God answers that prayer, Amen? All right. So we come to this letter, and it's important to remember three things about the letter we're in. Three things quickly. The church is enduring three things. Crushing outward persecution from the Roman government, Caesar Nero. Inward corruption from false teachers, and that's what the second letter really focuses on. And also there's an urgency in the heart of Peter, who's writing this letter, 
because his days are numbered. He's about to be ushered into the presence of Almighty God. His, his martyrdom is not far away. And so when you get the last words of somebody, they take some extra weight. And certainly that's the case with Peter. So he's writing with a heart of urgency to a church that was both being persecuted from the outside and dealing with false teachers from the inside. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Peter's warning considering these false teachers and those who had crept in among them. They had the outward appearance of believers. Guys, what you need to understand is the, the word of God is sufficient for today. And when we read things in the Bible, even though it's 2,000 years ago, it has application for us now. And those false teachers that had crept into the church that outwardly looked like Christians but were preaching false doctrine, there's nothing new under the sun. And for you and I to be identify, be able to identify the lie, we must know the truth. And that's why we spend time in the Word of God. We know that they look like Christians on the outside, but as I mentioned before, they were really Christian posers, right? They had the outward appearance, but no inward character. And they were in the church and had positions of influence, but they were not born again. They were actually tools that the enemy sent in to water down the truth, to sow tares among the wheat. You know the parable that Jesus spoke of, that you spread out seed, and then the enemy comes in at night and he throws out, you know, tares. And the only way you can recognize the difference between the wheat and the tares is when they're full grown. One bears fruit and one doesn't. And the same is true in the church today. We can all appear like wheat from the outside, and that's why we don't judge each other's salvation. Only God can do that, Amen. But as we see the fruit being born in someone's life, that's evidence of someone who truly has been born again. So then and today, we see the same thing is true. They had swallowed up the empty words of false doctrine and used that to overshadow, try to overshadow the truth. Last week, we saw both the destiny and the description of these false teachers. And not surprisingly, these false teachers preached a man-centered gospel. Again, there's nothing new under the sun. We'll see it more this morning. Their focus when they brought a message was all about what's good for man. They preached a gospel that talked about feeding your flesh. It was things that would draw you away from God instead of drawing you to him. While we live in a time where character has become so unimportant, these men were, had no character. And the same is true today, sadly. We're surprised when someone has character. We're surprised even you know, in elected officials when they have character. Sadly, we've gotten to a place where now someone's character can be revealed to be ungodly and their popularity rating will go up because that's the world we live in. But these false teachers, this is what their character looked like. And these are things that should not be said of either a teacher of the word or a Christian at all. And the things that we saw last time that revealed the heart of not only their false message, but their character was that they were sexually immoral. I said this last week. Many of you came up to talk to me. God bless you that you responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But let me say it again, because in a room this size, no doubt it's happening. If you are not married and you are in a sexual relationship with somebody you're not married to, you are in sin and you need to repent. Amen? That was actually pretty weak. Amen? Okay, here, guys, I know the world we live in says it's okay. The world is not our standard. The Word is. God's Word is the standard. They were sexually immoral. They despised authority. 
They were very bold in their false teaching. Guys, boldness doesn't mean they're right. A big crowd doesn't mean they're right. They were self-willed. They spoke evil of those in authority. They had no shame. They didn't even try to hide their sin. Their eyes were filled with adultery. So often you see this today with false teachers. They will live a sinful and wicked life and then try to sanctify their ungodly behavior by, by you know, tweaking the word of God. That you have polygamous marriages and things like that. So in short, what we had, it, it ended with them saying they were dry wells. That here they were, supposedly being the ones that were to satisfy the thirst of those who were hungry, those who were thirsting to know more of God, and instead they were dry wells filled with nothing. There were clouds that brought no rain. So in short, they were shameless, perverse, unsubmitted men who were greedy for money and who were, whose words were empty. So this morning, morning's text is going to continue to talk about the, the godly character or the ungodly character, and it's going to move from that to speak about their empty words. We wonder, why would somebody be attracted to a false teacher? Where well, guys, there's a reason. Because what they will tell you sounds really good to your flesh. Your flesh is going to go, ooh, that sounds good. Really? God wants me to have a bunch of wives. Wow, really? God wants me to be rich. And, you know, if I just have faith in God and tell him what I want, that I'm going to be rich. And we start coming to God with this ungodly response, these ungodly requests that are focused on our flesh instead of being broken in our spirit. We're going to see the impact of their words upon those who choose to follow them. And finally, the contrast between the fruitlessness of empty words and the transforming power of Almighty God. So let's begin. And if you're a note taker, let me give you the outline. It's up there on the screen. Let me give it to you. Empty words and simple truth. We're going to contrast those. The empty words of the false teachers and then the simple truth of God's word. And we'll see that as we look at the simple truth of God's word, it needs to be, we need to be taught and reminded of and exhorted from God's word again and again. Amen? That's why we're here every Sunday and Wednesday. People will call me and say, well, we're having another Bible study? You bet. Amen? And we're going to keep having Bible studies until the word comes back, Jesus Christ. We know that from the simple truth of God's word that, we, that it will be scoffed at by those who walk in the flesh. It teaches us that the one who created us is the only one who will judge us. And finally, that he desires that all should be saved. So let's begin looking at empty words and simple truth. Beginning by looking at the empty words of false teachers. Beginning in verse 18. A man-centered and fleshly message. Look what it says. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. Well, that's a great verse, isn't it? They speak great swelling words of emptiness. The word swelling there means grand, great, and I even love this, bombastic. They speak bombastic words. They speak, you know, with this grandiose form. It speaks not only of the words that they use, but the patterns of speech to make themselves sound educated and knowledgeable and spiritual. Boy, you can see that on TV and recognize it right away, can't you? Somebody's conjuring up a voice and conjuring up this thing to make it sound really spiritual. And they get to, what is that? Let's just speak, amen? It's not our voice, it's his word that transforms lives, amen? But they speak great swelling words. They're bombastic. They've got this, you know, but it says they're filled with emptiness. These words, while big and swollen and with great claims and grand promises, are void of any real spiritual content. 
You know what's interesting? Pastor Bill and I went and met with uh, two of the owners of one of the buildings that we've been looking at. And keep praying for that. We're looking at both. We got a response from one. We're supposed to get a response from the other, hopefully this week. And so we were sitting down with these two gentlemen, very, you know, accomplished guys, very wealthy, very intelligent, very sharp. But what I appreciated about them is that we sat down, we started telling them about the church, and they, of course, started, at, they started asking me questions. One of them said, why is this such a move to non-denominational churches? We got the chance to talk about that. And then finally, the one guy said, you know, I've been going to this denominational church for many, many, many years. He said, and when I go to church, I feel like all I get is mush. Now, do you know what mush is? It's like grits without gravy, man. It's got no taste. It's got nothing. It's just bland. And he said, you know, I walk out and I wonder, do they even know what they believe? Do they even know what they stand for? And I'm thinking, wow. I'm like an amen, brother. That's right on the mark. You know what? These false teachers were feeding people mush. There is nothing to it. It's void of content. It has no meat. It has no power. It transforms no one. So it's interesting that the one guy asked why are there denominations and the other guy really had just answered his question. Because he said to him, man, where I go, it's nothing but mush. They don't teach the Bible. And there's a lot of empty mush in the churches today. But it says, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh. The word allure there means to set a trap or to lay bait. So what they do is they speak these grand empty words that are man-centered gospel, you know, telling man what he wants to hear. The Bible says in the last days they will raise up for themselves, you know, those who will tickle the ears, itch the ears. They'll give you and tell you what you want to hear instead of what you should hear. And it says that all of that is really a trap that has been set by the enemy. A trap that says, you know what, you've been born again, go out and live like the world. We hear that a lot today, don't we? We have churches today, I see pastors on the cover of their website drinking a beer and sitting on a Harley to prove how cool they are. You know what? We need to be different than the world that we live in today. Amen? And I get a little nauseated when we're trying to fit into the world and trying to be like the world. We need to be different than the world. And it's alluring to say, look, you've become a Christian, now just live like the world. Hey, it's okay. You have liberty in Christ. We have freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Amen? And yet this liberty is being preached as, hey, we got, don't, don't be trampling on my liberty, man. I can sleep my, hey, the word of God says, no, you can't. And you're outside of God's will. And so these false teachers, this is what they were doing. They were bringing this into the church. They're bringing in the lie and proclaiming it to be truth. They were alluring them. They were setting a trap that would draw people away from intimate fellowship with God. The allure was the lust of the flesh, the promising of the fulfillment of carnal appetites. Guys, be it a sexual relationship, be it a desire to get drunk or get lit up, or be it a passion or a greed for money, these are things that churches can use sometimes. Boy, today, do we have a lot of prosperity churches? What's the answer? It's always sowing seed. Boy, if that verse hasn't been twisted out of context more than any verse in Scripture... And they're always saying, sow a seed in my garden. I never hear them say, the next 500 people that call, I'm going to sow a seed by sending you a thousand bucks. They never do that. You know why? Because it's bent on greed. 
Guys, what transforms lives is you falling in love with the Lord, not you trying to use the Lord for your own fleshly gain. Guys, he's not the holy Santa Claus up in the sky. Amen? We don't tell him, we don't claim it and name it and grab it and blab it or any of that stuff. We come before him humbly and broken and desperate and say, Lord, change me. Lord, help me to be content with whatever I have. Amen? And said, oh Lord, give me enough that I might be content. We see this word of faith, the prosperity doctrine, so many things just getting away from the truth of God's word. There's nothing new under the sun. They were preaching the same thing 2,000 years ago, and that's what Peter was addressing. He then says, to the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. You know, the lewdness that was being taught, in a sense, was, hey, if it feels good, do it, because if you want to do it, God must have given you that desire. Can I tell you something? That many of my desires, and no doubt many of yours, are extremely ungodly. Amen? We still walk around in this dead flesh. But here's what happens in the church, even in the church today. We're saying, well, if you have desires for homosexuality god must have given you that desire so certainly he wouldn't want to hold you back from that but the bible says it is perversion amen now do we love the homosexual of course like we love the fornicator the drunkard and everybody else but here's the point we should never say that sin is not sin because it's politically correct you know what depending on how these elections go in the next few months it might be against the law pretty soon for me to say what I just said at church on Sunday. But we're going to proclaim the truth. Amen? And if they pass a law, put a, cake in a, you know, put a hacksaw on a cake for me because I'm going to jail. But here's the point. The word of God needs to be the standard, not the lewdness of men, not the desires of men. And what has happened is these false teachers have come in and said, hey, using the lust of the flesh to draw men away from the truth, using lewdness, okaying and approving of ungodly behavior, trying to sanctify it by twisting the word of God to say you can have 57 wives like Brigham Young did. That's ungodly. People get upset when you name names, but you know what? The Bible names names. Amen? And I'm not doing it to pick on anybody. I'm doing it so that we might understand that the word of God is the standard, not the feelings or the words of men. Guys, your feelings lie to you. Is that true or not? But I feel. But I feel. If you just followed all your feelings, you'd be dead in a week. You know, we just, we, our feelings lie to us. Sin is a choice. That's why he gave us 66 books full of instructions for life, because we need every single word of it. Amen? And too often, we eliminate the word of God and insert our feelings, and that's what I keep hearing again and again today, as people have gotten so far away from the word of God. We don't need false prophets in our pulpits preaching a man-centered, flesh-driven, empty message, but bold and uncompromising proclaimers of truth, a Christ-centered message, and man's need for brokenness, surrender, and repentance. That's not very popular today, but you know what? It wasn't popular 2,000 years ago. Amen? We need it not just from the pulpits, but we need it in our workplace. We need it in our neighborhoods. And then it says this, and here's a scary part. They're using the lust of the flesh and lewdness to draw away who? The ones who have actively, actually escaped from those who live in error. Who are they targeting? Those who have turned away from the sinfulness of the world and, at least from outward appearance, have chosen to follow God. 
Guys, sometimes we think when we give our life to the Lord, we cease to be a target for the enemy. Well, guess what? That's just not true. Because if the enemy can't take you to hell, he'll do everything he can to make you ineffective. He'll do everything he can to blow your testimony. To have you be another Christian hypocrite. Here are the false teachers. Who are they drawing away? Those who the text says had actually escaped from those who live in error. The false teachers were great orators who said nothing. And they were going after those who had made a choice, at least outwardly, to follow the true and the living God. Guys, just because somebody is an eloquent speaker doesn't mean that he's called or gifted by God. Amen? Listen to the content of the message. We have so many people on TV today that are handing out bowls of mush. The word of God is not being taught. I'll listen to some of these guys for 20 minutes waiting to hear Jesus' name one time. And it doesn't happen. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Amen? Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ him crucified and risen from the dead. Charismatic delivery of a contentless message 2,000 years ago was happening and it's happening today. Verse 19. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. They promise liberty to those who will follow their path. Hey, come my way. Listen to what I've told you. You can walk in liberty and still go to heaven. You can live like the world and still be a Christian. And what it says of those who deliver that message, that they themselves are walking in corruption. Their message says one thing and their life says something else. You know what? A constant prayer that I have is I'd be the same man out from behind this that I am behind it. And I think the same is, we need to be the same way outside of this church building as we are in it. Amen? And what we see is the contrast in the false teachers is that they speak one thing for the people, but they live something else. And we see that their lifestyle has put them into bondage. They become slaves of corruption. You know what? Everybody is serving somebody right? Bob Dylan said it, even though he, here's a perfect example of a guy who appeared to be walking with God for a little while and then wasn't. Did he lose his salvation? Did he walk away or was he never saved? Only God ultimately knows. I believe once saved, always saved, but guess what? Abide in Christ and you don't have to worry about it, amen? Paul, we're all reasoned, you're not abiding, you're not going, man. Yes, so it's true. We need to be abiding, abiding in the Savior, but Bob, you know that song, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. you got to serve somebody. And certainly that was true then. They were either following the true and living God or they were following the way of the world. Who are you following this morning? True freedom is not liberty to sin, but the deliverance from sin that only Jesus can give us. Smooth-talking men who spoke grand, pompous words, and yet they were slaves to sin. It says, therefore, by whom, verse 19, a person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. So in being overcome by the flesh and false teachers, they become slaves of both. Again, we're following the Lord or we're following the world. We're following the truth or we're following a lie, verse 20. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. They have tasted the truth. Now again, there would be debate. Is this speaking of people who've been born again and then walked away? 
Is it a picture of what we see in the parable of the sower? Some receive the word with joy, and then, you know, they, it's planted in shallow dirt, and it doesn't last. It springs up and withers up and dries up and blows away. Some start to grow, but then the thorns, the cares of the world, choke them off, and they die. You know, is this a picture of someone who's saved and walked away, or is this a picture of someone who appeared to be saved that never really knew God, and the fruit was borne out in the fact that he did not remain? But notice what it says there. It says they have escaped the pollutions of the world. Boy, that's a heavy-duty word. The word there means to infect or defile. The word is used for particles that proceed from a person infected with a contagious or dangerous disease or from a dead body. The word here says, you've escaped the corruption of dead bodies. You've escaped the corruption that infects and destroys. You escaped it when you became a new creation in Christ. So if we've escaped it, why would we want to go back and dwell in it? It says the pollution of the world. Well, Pastor Dave, are we supposed to go sit on a mountaintop and cross our legs and chant until Jesus comes back? No. But we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Amen? Guys, this is not our home. Heaven's our home. Warren went home. It was moving day. Amen? To a much better neighborhood. And as Christians, hanging out with the dead only pollutes us. We begin to imitate their behavior and we get become infected by it. Then it says there in verse 21, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It would have been better if they'd never heard it than to hear it, begin to walk in it, and then walk away from it. And that's exactly what the text says. So that means that there were those who again had escaped the pollution of the world. They had at least some level of understanding of who the Lord is. They began to walk in the way of righteousness, but in the end, they did not remain. As I said before, did they lose their salvation? Were they saved and they lost it? Not Pastor Dave's opinion, but a lot of guys I respect would say that's exactly what happened. Again, my encouragement to all of us is abide. Keep pressing in. Keep walking with him. We will endure until the end if we've truly been saved. Amen? So be encouraged in that. Let that be a word of exhortation to all of us. Then it says this, last verse, and we're going to get on chapter 3. But it's happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. The picture he paints here is pretty graphic, isn't it? A dog eats something that is so vile and rejected by his body that he pukes it up. But then because he's a dog and that's his nature, he goes back and licks it up. That's disgusting, isn't it? You ever seen a dog do that? I have. Stop it. That's disgusting. I'm going to be sick now. But you know what? The picture is this. The believer who is this, who was once in a situation where, again, they, it nauseating, they threw up, it was destructive to them, and they walked away from it, the pollution of the world, but now, being drawn away by the false teachers, are rebur- returning right back into that same thing, lapping up that same thing that's going to cause them to be sick yet again. Have you ever noticed that when we sin again, the consequences are still there? Amen? You know why? Because God loves you. And praise God for consequences. And praise God for conviction. It's a good thing. 
But so sad, you know, it's so sad. Can you imagine you take your prized pig out and spend three hours washing the pig? Get it all clean, put a little perfume on it, right? Put a little bow around it, get it all looking good, and drop that thing on the floor and runs right back into the mud. And that's why, because that's what pigs do. And that's what unbelievers do. But it should not be said of us as Christians. Amen? Now, does that mean we're going to stop sinning? What's the answer? No, we're still going to sin. For me, say it a hundred times, so 101 will kill you. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? Now we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Conviction should be leading us, and the Holy Spirit should be moving us, and we should not continue to go back into that same old behavior. I know this much, that while I still have old behaviors I struggle with, I feel totally different about them. How about you? Where before you were saved, you could walk in that sin, and that was just part of life. But now when you do it, you're convicted. And that's the seal of the Holy Spirit in your life. Praise God that we've been cleansed from the world. We need not run back to it and try to imitate it. So empty words and simple truth. The empty words of false teachers, a man-centered, fleshly, you know, feelings-driven message that leads men and women into bondage of sin and ungodly behavior. Now let's contrast that with the simple truth of God's word. The very thing that people are so dead set against. Isn't it amazing to you how our Savior's name is the most prolific cuss word? No one ever says swear to Buddha. Nobody's bummed out that the Quran is in school. Nobody's worried about somebody having yoga classes at school and getting their chakra or whatever, right? But if someone starts talking about Jesus, people get all bent out of shape. The simple truth of the word of God brings conviction. The cross of Christ is a stone of offense. We should not be surprised when the world is offended when we proclaim the truth. So let's look at the simple truth of God's word. That we need to be taught, reminded, and exhorted from God's word again and again. Verse Chapter 3, verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. So he's saying to them, look, I know that you know the Lord. I know that you're walking before him, but yet you need to hear this again as a way of warning. You might be here this morning and say, look, I'm not falling after a false teacher. Do we still need to be warned against it? What's the answer? Absolutely. Because we can allow a man's you know, charisma. We can allow you know, some, uh, a, a move of God from the outward appearance to suck us in if we don't use the word of God as the standard. We need to be reminded again and again and again. He says to them there, that you may be mindful, verse 2, of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, that's the Old Testament, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus of the Lord and Savior. Now listen, he says, the Old Testament, you need to be reminded again and again and again, the words of the prophets, and the New Testament, which was yet to be completed, because this is a part of it, but those letters, some of those letters were out, certainly gospels had already been written, and he's saying, we need to be reminded of the words of the apostles and the words of the prophets again and again and again, lest we fall into sin, lest we fall away from the Lord. The way that we remain faithful to the Lord is to spend time in his word. Now notice, the false prophets had the flowery, flowery, fleshly words, and they spoke what men wanted to hear. But a faithful teacher is faithful to remind them, teach them, exhort them concerning the whole counsel of God, not just what's popular or easy to hear. 
Guys, it would be so much easier for me to get up here every week and just do messages on grace. Let's just talk about joy and grace every week. Should we talk about grace? Absolutely. But do we need to speak of repentance too? Do we need to speak of brokenness? Do we need to speak about the burden and the calling that God should place on every one of our lives to walk in obedience before Him? Of course, that's why we look at the whole counsel of God. That's why I love teaching verse by verse through the Bible because we get it in proportion to the way God gave it to us. We get grace as much as He wants us to get it and at the same time, we get warned of the judgment to come as we're about to. So we see here that he reminds them and exhorts them and says, I'm going to remind you and exhort you and encourage you again and again and again, teaching the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Amen? So help me, God, that they might recognize the lie when it comes. Know this, wherever God is doing a work, the enemy is going to try to divert it. Wherever people are being saved, lives are being transformed, know that the enemy's running alongside trying to get that off track. Guys, we're in Santa Cruz, and you would have to have only lived here for about a day not to know that this is one of the most godless places on this planet. Is that true or not? But guess what? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God called me here, and God called you here, and that's why we're here, to be salt and light of this place. And so what's the best place to take a halogen light to the darkest place around? And we live in as dark a place as there is. So guess what? Our light ought to be shining bright, amen? And so the word and the exhortation here is that we need to be reminded again and again and again because it would be so easy just to go to work. It'd be so easy to just start watching stuff on TV and before we know it, we become desensitized to sin and we start compromising our faith and we start living like the world. No, we need to be reminded. It keeps us from stumbling. It keeps us walking in the center of His will. From the Garden of Eden to the present day, there's always been one who's tried to draw us away from the truth. And for us to remain steadfast, we must be discerning. And for us to be discerning, we must know the word of God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Point number two of simple truth of God's word. We'll be scoffed at by those who walk in the flesh. Look what it says there in verse three. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now, my favorite part of that verse is in the last days. Because guys, we're living in the last days. And praise God for the last days, amen? Now things are not going to go on like this forever, and I'm so glad. There's a day coming when God will come again and bring to an end the rebellion of man. He'll receive us as his bride unto himself. He'll establish righteousness upon the earth. Guys, I'm going to vote in the election, but I can't wait till Jesus comes and rules and reigns upon the earth like it should be done. Amen? Going to be way better. And praise God that it's coming. As Christians, we live in anticipation of the rapture of the church with the knowledge that his return has only one final prerequisite. There's only one thing waiting for the Lord to come back. You know what that is? The Bible calls it the fullness of the Gentiles. When the last Gentile is saved, we're out of here. So you ought to witness more, amen? You never know when that's the last one, amen? We need to be about it because once the last one is saved, now sometimes we look at the world around us and we see all the wickedness around us and we can get upset and say, God, why don't you just come back? You know what? 
Because God is being patient doesn't mean he's permitting sin. It just shows the incredible love and grace and mercy that he has for every person that has yet to be saved. Aren't you glad that God didn't come back the day before you got saved? Amen? Thank you, Lord, he didn't come back before 1968. That's when I got saved. Thank you, Lord, he didn't come back before 1987. That's when my wife got saved. Thank you, Lord, he didn't come back before my children gave their lives to you. And praise God, he didn't come back before you got saved either. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't got saved yet. You want to know for sure that you're going to, you know, if you want to give your life for sure before he comes back, today's the day of salvation, amen? And don't wait. So what do the scoffers scoff at? What is the thing that makes them mock? Look what it says. It says there, they walk according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued the way they were from the beginning of creation. You know what they mock? They mock the fact that we say that Jesus is coming back. They mock the fact that there's a coming judgment at all. They just say, I don't believe in judgment. I don't believe that I'll ever be accountable for my sin. He hasn't come back in 2,000 years. He's never coming back. I shared this on Wednesday night. Pray for a coworker, Mark. His name is Mark. He's from England. And he's a Jewish guy. And uh, praise God, it's a divine appointment. He sits kind of across from me. And we started talking, and we had a pretty intense, I don't know, 45 minute to an hour long conversation about the Lord. And he openly mocked God. Oh, you believe in JC? I said, absolutely. You believe in Noah's Ark? They put them all in a boat? I said, yes, I do. Those are just allegories. I'm like, bro, I believe in the Old Testament more than you. You're supposed to be Jewish. What's up with that? But he said, you know what? I was talking about Jews for Jesus. He said, that's like a, that's like a vegetarian hamburger. You can't be a Jew for Jesus. I said, well, guess what, bro? The entire Bible, for the most part, was written by Jews for Jesus. Amen. The apostles were Jews for Jesus. The first century church were Jews for Jesus, amen? But one of the things he kept saying was, I don't believe that God will judge me. I'm a good man. What about the peasant woman who just goes and, you know, faithfully sweeps out in front of her home every day and she's good? You know, God will not judge her. That's the lie of the enemy that judgment is not coming. If he hasn't judged us yet, he's never going to. Again, do not mistake God's patience for God's indifference. He's not indifferent. He's faithful and he's coming right on time, amen? And it's going to be, as we'll see next week, like a thief in the night. And we need to live every day in anticipation of his return. The world is moving toward evil with reckless abandon and complete absence of godly fear. There's a growing boldness to live lives ruled by sin, lust, and fulfilling fleshly desires. And the Bible tells us in the last days, they will be just indeed that, scoffers of coming judgment. They'll live ungodly lives and mock all but shake their fists at God. I'm living like this, nobody's judged me, and I'm going to keep living this way. Guys, Prop 8, and I'm not a super political guy, you know that, but we need to vote yes on Prop 8. God said marriage is one man, one woman for a lifetime. People say, well, Pastor Dave, we shouldn't try to legislate morality. Well, let's give it a shot. I'm all for that, amen? Let's stand up for truth. It's keeping people from that which will harm them. And the more and more that we okay and condone ungodly behavior, do not be surprised when our country starts to fall more and more apart. It's God's grace that we've been held together, amen? 
A man once said 100 years ago that America is great because America is godly and America will cease to be great as soon as it ceases to be godly. We've ceased to be great a long time ago. But you know what? God's called us to be salt and light in this godless nation, to be a remnant, to point people to the Lord. The real reason they scoff at his judgment is coming judgment as they refuse to repent, they refuse to submit to the Lord, and so they say judgment isn't coming. It says there that they are walking according to their own lusts. They reject the teachings of holiness and coming judgment because they do not want to repent for their sin. They don't want anyone to tell them that their behavior is wrong. And you know what? Sadly, too many Christians and too many pastors today have bought into that lie. Who are you to tell me that my lifestyle is wrong? I'm not telling you anything, but let me tell you what the Word of God says. Again, he's not a no-fun bummer God who wants to keep you from fun. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. Guys, he gives us his word because he knows that the end of disobedience is harm and destruction. He tells us not to commit adultery because he knows it will destroy our marriage and our entire family. He tells us you know, to not be drunk because he knows the consequences of it. He tells us again and again not to put other gods before him because he knows that we'll lose our way. His whole point, his whole direction, the power of the Holy Spirit within us to live holy lives is to keep us from harm. And sadly, we see the world just mocking God. Now, you might sit there and say, well, I've never really been persecuted. Okay. You want to be persecuted this week? Let me tell you how. Persecution class for a minute here. Go up to somebody in love, never self-righteous, never arrogant, be prayed up, and as the Holy Spirit leads, and let them know, you know what, bro? I'm sharing this with you because I love you, but your lifestyle is outside of God's will, and if you do not repent, you're going to face him on judgment day. And let's see how persecuted you are. Because that's not a message people want to hear. You know, as I was studying this and writing these notes, I have a guy that I work with who claims to be a Christian, but I'm not so sure. But man, he's sleeping with every woman in the office. And we've talked about it many times. But I was convicted as I read this to go up to him on Monday and say, bro, I need to talk to you. And I'm doing this in love. But bro, you cannot claim to be a Christian and then be doing what you're doing and living like you're living and not expect to face the judgment and wrath of God. If there's no conviction, there's been no salvation. Pray for me. He's a big guy. He used to play for the 49ers. If I come back with a broken nose, you'll know what happened. (laughs) But here's the point. The point is this. We need to love people enough, never self-righteous, never holier than thou, but love people enough to put our arm around them and to speak the truth to them. Because you know what? They hear the lie all day long, don't they? They're entertained by it all day long. It's put in front of them all day long as being acceptable. Somebody needs to stand up for the truth, and God has called you and us to do that. He's the truth. He lives inside of us. We need to stand for it. Their focus instead in the world that we live in today, the Bible says they love darkness rather than the light. They focus on immediate fleshly gratification rather than the eternal consequences i was going to read it i don't have time but go read when you get home read john three sixteen. but keep reading we always stop there keep reading and you'll find out that it talks about them loving darkness rather than the light why they continue in that sinful behavior because they enjoy living in it they don't want the light of the gospel being shined on it because now conviction will come 
You know, the gentleman that I was talking about who said that the church he goes to, they feed him nothing but mush. He mentioned that his grandfather was a pastor and he said, you know, we'd go to this church where he taught and he, he was up on a real high pedestal and he said he had this really deep voice and he said, I remember being a little boy and I'd go there and he'd preach hellfire and brimstone and he said, I'd walk out of that place shaken. He goes, man, it was heavy on my conscience. I go, no, that's called Holy Spirit conviction. And that's a good thing, amen? We need to be convicted. But notice their form of scoffing. It's where is the promise of his coming? You Christians have been saying that for 2,000 years. He hasn't come yet. He's not coming at all. Don't mistake God's grace and patience for God's indifference. Guys, it's 2,008 years closer to his return than when he was crucified. Amen? We're getting closer. And we'll talk about how quick time really goes in God's economy. Third point that we see in the simple truth of God's word, it teaches us that the one who created the world is the one who will judge it. Look what it says there in verse 5. Or verse 4, excuse me. So where is the promise of his coming? All these have been continued from the beginning of creation. Then it says in verse 5, For this they willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. I love these two verses because you know what it tells me? Peter was a creationist and he believed in the flood. Amen? He didn't say it was billions of years of random acts. that ha-. God was not an innocent bystander in creation. Amen? It was not theistic evolution. God got the motor running and stepped aside. That's not our God. He's never let go or this thing would have crashed a long time ago. Instead, he's the one to put it all into place. He's the one that holds it all together. And Peter says this, that from creation, he's the one that spoke it into existence, and then he's the one, when men was perverse, and men would not heed the call to repentance, he's the one that brought judgment upon the earth and flooded the entire world. You know, I love what happened with Mount St. Helens. I don't have time to go into it. But you know that Mount St. Helens eruption proves, yet again, that, that the flood was so accurate. Petrified forests that they said took millions of years happened in a month. Smaller versions of the Grand Canyon happened overnight. Oh, it was billions of years. How many times have you heard that? Oh, it was happened over billions of years. No, it didn't. God created the heavens and the earth six or 7,000 years ago. We know it by looking at the word of God, and the word of God is right. Amen? And Peter confirms it again. And he's the one who created it, and he's going to be the one who judges it. And praise God that when he flooded the earth, he gave us a promise, didn't he? What's the promise? The rainbow. He said, I'll never, prom- I'll never flood the earth again, but I want you to see something else in these verses as we're about to close. He said, I will never flood the earth again. I'm not going to judge it that way. When I see a rainbow, I'm reminded that he will not judge the world by water, but that he is going to judge it by fire. Not going to be by water, but it is going to be by fire. Because that's what the word of God is clearly tells us behind this great design is a designer behind the creation is the creator and he spoke it into existence and it's nothing's hard for god but it's easier still to wipe it out guys he's the judge he alone judges he alone makes the standard it's not what i think we can't vote on it we don't tell god anything he's the one who created everything he sets the rules for everything and he's the only standard and yet we live in a world today that questions that 
Well, that's narrow. Word of God's narrow. Amen? Guys, can I say this? You should not be laying at home at night thinking about building a bomb shelter because you're worried about Al-Qaeda. You know what? They can drop a bomb in my house if they do. That's all right. Apps from the body, present with the Lord is fine. Amen? Can't threaten me with heaven. But here's the point. The one catastrophe you need to be concerned about is the judgment that comes from God if you don't know him. Far worse than Al-Qaeda, far worse than the fact that Iran has nuclear weapons or whatever else you're worried about is the fact that for sure the judgment is coming and it's going to be righteous judgment, but his desire, as we're about to see, is that none should perish, no, not one. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. He suffers long, but he will not suffer always. Noah spent 120 years preaching salvation, preaching a righteous message, preaching that they would return to the Lord, telling them that the boat was being built. And for 120 years, they mocked him and they continued on like judgment would never come. Imagine what it must have been like when the ark was closed up by God and that first drop of rain fell when it had never rained before. Noah told them water was going to fall from the sky and they laughed at him. Water falling from the sky. What are you out of your mind? It had never rained before. It's no different than us telling people that fire is going to fall from the sky. Here's the point. When that water fell, it was too late. And guys, right now, today's the day of salvation. We need to be burdened for people because holy judgment is coming. I didn't come from a hellfire and brimstone message today, Pastor Dave. I brought a friend. I thought it was going to be, you know, a little more seeker sensitive. You turn wrong exit off the freeway if you're looking for that. Here's the point. The point is this, we need to be warned about coming judgment lest we experience it. Amen? And we need to love people enough to tell them the truth. Peter points to the creator. Man is not in charge of this planet. God is. You don't need to worry about global warming. You need to worry about the warming that's coming if you don't get it right with Jesus Christ. Amen? Too often we're worshiping creation rather than the creator. Final point. He desires that all would be saved. It says in verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It's being held together. The same word that spoke the world into existence is keeping the world from facing judgment. It's God's hand. Until that day of judgment comes and the perdition of ungodly men. He suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Sin does indeed have consequences. Verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So those people that mock and say it's been two thousand years since it was prophesied that he was coming back. In God's economy, it's a weekend. Amen? A day is to a thousand years as a thousand years is to a day. In God's economy, he's outside of time. He's outside of space. Remember that it's his grace that has held off from bringing his judgment. And I'm so glad, as I said before, that he waited until I was saved. I'm so glad he waited until you were saved. And if you're here this morning, I pray that he waits till the end of this message so that you can be saved. Amen? Lord's, heart, Lord's will be done. And then it says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 
as some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So how many people would God like to see be saved? What's the answer? The answer is all. Now, I don't want to get into a deep theological thing because I know we have people here that would disagree with me and it's okay and I love you and you're wrong, but I love you. But here's the point. I'm kidding. But here's the point. We're all going to get our theology straightened out when we get to heaven. Amen? None of us are going to go, well, I had all right, everything right. I was 100%. No. But here's the point. The word of God is very clear about this. His desire is that none should perish. No, not one. We just read it. His desire is that all should come to repentance. But will everyone come to repentance? What's the answer? No. So that means that you have the free will to reject his offer of salvation. Salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. He will do everything he can to keep you out of hell, outside of one thing, which is force you to be saved. He loved you so much, he brought his son to stand between you and hell. He brought his son to die on the cross of Calvary, to shed his blood, to pay your price, price that you deserve to pay, that you might have eternal life. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. You are his treasured possession. With all that being said, he's not going to put you in a headlock and drag you into salvation. That's not the God we serve. He gives us free will because love requires a choice. He's given you free will to accept him or to reject him. And there are no in-betweens. You can't kind of be saved. That's like being kind of pregnant. You either are or you aren't. Amen? You're either saved or you're not. You're either born again or you're not. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And yes, hell is a real place. And he's telling them, he's exhorting them, he's encouraging them. These false teachers are coming and this lie that they're telling you is going to impact your eternity. We cannot take this for granted. We cannot take it lightly. Guys, in the church today, It may seem harmless to only do messages on the seven steps to financial freedom or the three ways to overcome your anger or Beaver doesn't live here anymore, the series, or whatever. And we might think that's really harmless, but here's the point. It's harmful if we do not preach the gospel. It is harmful if we do not give people the whole counsel of God. Guys, I will stand before Almighty God one day and be accountable for every word that came out of my mouth standing here. And as much as I love you, I love God more. And as much as I would hope that you like me, I'm not anywhere near as worried about that as standing before God on judgment day and making sure that I'm right with him. And because I love you, here it comes. If you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So just as he wants all to be saved, all have sinned. So we've got a problem. We're all sinners, but he wants to see us in heaven. But if God allows one sin in heaven, he's got earth part two. There can't be any sin in heaven, but we're all sinners. We've got a problem. So the world will tell you, religion will tell you, that you be good. You try to reach God through your own efforts. But you know what? You can't be good enough. Because one sin makes you a sinner. You know, it's interesting. The word sin is a distance from, it's an archery term, from where your arrow lands and where perfection is. 
It's the distance by which you miss perfection. Guys, have you missed it by an inch or by a million miles? And most of us are closer to that number. We're sinners in need of a Savior. If we stand before Almighty God with sin that's unrepentant, if we've not been redeemed, if we are not new creations in Christ, we have brought judgment upon ourselves. He cannot go contrary to his character and nature and allow sin into heaven or all of heaven will be corrupted. Guys, the only way we can go to heaven is if our sin is forgiven. If you're here this morning, you could have been going to church your whole life. That will not redeem you. You can believe that Jesus Christ is God. That still doesn't redeem you. You can even believe that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Guys, it has to go beyond belief in a historical event to a true intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. I love what one of my daughter's old teachers at Baymont used to say. Are you married to Jesus? Is he your best friend? Do you have an intimate relationship with him? If you do not, you're not born again. I've been praying since the wee hours of this morning. I know there are people here today that are not saved. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And you know what? The Bible says if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Guys, we need to stop worrying about what the world thinks and be focused only on what God says. Where are you at with Jesus? I can tell you right now, he's my best friend. And I love him. And I am so blessed. And I can't believe I'm part of his bride. And you know what's so great? He's my best friend, but he can be your best friend too. That's the God we serve, amen? So let's pray. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. It's his desire that none should perish, no, not one, that all would come to repentance, but he will not force salvation on you. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, I do pray if there's anybody here, even one that doesn't know you this morning, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, your word tells us that if even one person comes to a saving knowledge of who you are, Lord, that all of heaven rejoices. Lord, we want to see a party up in heaven. Lord, it could even be, could it be, Lord, that the fullness of the Gentiles is in this room this morning. Not only will we pray for someone's salvation, but we'll enter into your presence. Lord, that would be our prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Lord, if not, I do pray For anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, just open their eyes to the truth of who you are. Lord, help them to see that they're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. That, Lord, their good behavior isn't good enough. That salvation doesn't come by our good works, but by your great grace. It's not us reaching up to heaven, but you reaching down to earth through your Son and dying on a cross and paying for our sin, paying our debt, paying it in full. It is finished. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and it's your desire to know for sure that you're going to heaven. Before we take communion, communion is for believers, those who've already given their life to the Lord. If it's your desire to know for sure that you're going to heaven, to know for sure your sins are forgiven, the Bible just says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. If that's your desire this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet that we might pray with you.
Anybody at all. Today's the day of salvation. Don't worry about what anybody else around you is doing. God bless you. Anybody else? Eternity hangs in the balance, guys. Here is treasure possession. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, brother. Anybody else? He loves you guys. He hung on a cross for you. You can stand up for him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these three men who've stood up. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the promise in your word. We thank you, Father, that as they stand and confess their sin and their need for you, that you are faithful and just to forgive them. We thank you for the promise in your word that they are now new creations in Christ, filled with your spirit. Lord, I pray for these men. You'd help them to walk with you. Help them, Lord, not to be like the parable of the sower where they receive it with joy, but it's choked off by the cares of life. But Lord, that truly they'd walk in the center of your will, that you'd give them the strength to keep their eyes on you. Father, I thank you and praise you for the free gift of salvation. And thank you for these men who've responded. Father, I pray for the rest of us here this morning. Help us, Lord, to walk in the center of your will, to be filled with your spirit, Lord, to seek after you above all else, to make you the Lord of our lives. As we go to this time of communion, Lord, I do pray that as we take the bread, which is your body broken for us, we would remember how you suffered on our behalf out of of your love for us. Then, Lord, as we take the juice, that we would remember the blood of Christ, that that one drop of blood is our source of redemption, that we've been forgiven. And Lord, I just pray you'd be glorified. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, for each of these men. We thank you that your kingdom's been added to. We thank you that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you, Lord, that there's a party in heaven right now and all the angels rejoice when even one person is saved. We thank you and praise you, Lord, that you knew this day before the foundation of the world and you are such a faithful God. Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,